Let's pray again. Oh, Holy Father, we praise you as the majestic and almighty God. You are the one who is seated on the throne of actual sovereignty over all the universe. In the heavens, higher than our little world and exalted above all other elements and forces. Oh, how we praise you, oh God. And Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you would help us to be far more devoted than we are distracted. And I pray that you would open our heart eyes to see the beauty of your church. Father, right now I ask that you would empty me of me and fill me with all your fullness so that I might speak your truth to your beloved bride. This I ask in the glorious name of our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Amen. What is your favorite moment at a wedding? The kiss when the happy couple is pronounced husband and wife. The procession of the bridesmaids in all their finery. The antics of little children that are serving as flower girls or ring bearers. Or is it the moment that all the guests stand up, turn around, and watch the bride as she arrives? Me, I think maybe because I'm a boy mom, I love to watch the bridegroom's reaction as his bride makes her grand entrance. Over the years, I have seen different reactions. A groom's tears, groom's eyes filling up with tears, or his face overcome by the vision before him, or his chest puffing out in pride, or his fists pumping in the air as he proclaims, at last, she's mine. He knows he is a blessed man, and it is evident from head to toe. Now, imagine for a moment that the bridegroom is Jesus Christ, and that you are the bride. What would you see in Jesus' eyes? What would you see written on his face as you made your way down the aisle to join him as his bride? What would he see? Your radiant glory? Shining purity? Would his bride be a vision of perfection? Would his bride bless him from head to toe? The imagery of a bride is used throughout the Bible to describe the people of God. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, they were God's chosen people. Genesis 12.3 gives the reason. He blessed them to be a blessing to the nations around them. God poured out exceedingly generous blessings on Israel. But she failed to be the blessing that God intended for her to be. Sadly, Israel was an adulterous bride. Unfaithful to her covenant vows to her covenant God. She chased after idols and engaged in dark pagan practices instead of shining the light of God's love to the world. Even with such a bride, God remained faithful. His steadfast love was fixed on his beloved people. We see that throughout the Old Testament. His unfailing love is on display as he rescues and restores his people again and again and again. The prophets continually spoke forth his promise of redemption. His people were never 
forever without hope. This hope was realized in the New Testament. Jesus Christ descended as the bridegroom and redeemed his church as his beloved bride. He blessed his bride then, and he continues to bless her today. The truth that we will explore as we examine the doctrine of the church is that the church is blessed to be a blessing. We have two divisions, the bridegroom and the bride. So our first division is the bridegroom. In John 3, 29, John the Baptist says, The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. So John the Baptist, that forerunner who came to tell us about the coming Christ, he says the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Well, who is this bridegroom? Well, he's none other than Jesus Christ. I mean, you all knew that, right? Now, as a young girl, did you ever make a list of qualities that you wanted in a husband? Tall, dark, and handsome, kind, generous, and funny. Maybe you wanted someone intelligent, strong, and confident. Well, Jesus is the perfect bridegroom who far exceeds anyone that we could ever want or imagine. I love how the book of Hebrews gives us an amazing list of qualities that are true of our perfect bridegroom. Hebrews says that he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. You see, God sent Jesus to show us his glory, to reveal to the world all that is true about God. When we learn about Jesus in God's word, we are learning about the Lord God Almighty. Jesus is the sustainer of all things, the purifier of our sinful souls. He is the author of salvation, the faithful apostle, which means he is God's ultimate messenger. He shed his own blood on the cross for us. And his blood, Hebrews says, speaks the better word of forgiveness, not vengeance like Abel's shed blood. Our bridegroom is the ultimate great high priest, the perfect lamb of God, and our beautiful savior who made the once for all time sacrifice that satisfied God's wrath against our sin forever. He is the word made flesh. He is living and active, able to sympathize with us in all our weaknesses. He is our hope. He is strong and trustworthy, the anchor for our souls. He is always able. He has saved us completely, perfectly, and eternally. He is always interceding for us, intervening on our behalf with God the Father. He has mediated or established for us a better covenant, the covenant of grace in place of the covenant of law. He fully fulfilled every letter of the law for us, his bride. He has redeemed us, purchased us as his own inheritance, his treasured and beloved possession. The heavenly bridegroom is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The immutable, exalted, reigning, ruling, king of kings, and lord of lords. Yet, he is also our tender, loving, intimate, good shepherd. 
John chapter 10 expands on the beautiful picture of our good shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. We hear his voice and listen to him. We follow him. He gives us eternal life and he makes us snatch proof. We are God's love gift to his son, the one who is the same in essence and nature with him. Indeed, he is the great shepherd of the sheep that he has chosen. Truly, this bridegroom is worthy of all our praise. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, Paul tells us that he is also the cornerstone of the church. Believers, he said, are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We should just be amazed, stunned at that. Focus here on being joined together. The bridegroom joined together with his bride to become the dwelling place of God. This holy marriage sets the standard for a believer's relationship with Jesus Christ, indeed with God himself. In the book of Genesis, God states that the marriage relationship takes precedence over every other relationship, including that of a man to his father and mother. All other relationships should be forsaken to preserve that most holy union. Jesus Christ taught his followers that this is what his true church looks like. Marriage unites two souls or two persons into one flesh in God's sight. Therefore, no one should dare think of breaking the marriage covenant. The same concept applies to a believer's relationship with God. The old covenant was one of distance. There needed to be a barrier or some distance between a holy God and sinners because sin is utterly repulsive to his holiness. Our sin divorces us or separates us from God. When Jesus Christ came, the distance was bridged by his atoning sacrifice. The sin barrier broken. Right relationship was reconciled or restored. The distance of sin gave way to the nearness of intimate fellowship with God. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we return to our marriage relationship with God. He is our faithful husband. We are his blessed and beloved bride. And he wants nothing to separate us from him. He laid down his life for us, to reconcile us to himself and eternally unite us to our bridegroom. Just as God joined Adam and Eve in marriage to create one flesh, believers become one with Christ. At every Christian wedding, you hear the words, what God has joined together, let man not separate. 
You see, believers are called to be joined together with Christ or yoked to Christ. This is an apt picture because this marriage points to our total commitment to God. Full surrender, nothing held back. Two persons joined together as one forever. That's you and me, believer, and Jesus joined together forever. Now, this is God's intent for a marriage between a man and a woman. Often sin mars that intent. But this is also God's intent for a marriage between his son Jesus and the church. So he blesses his church with every grace needed to succeed in her marriage to the bridegroom. So our first truth is that the church is blessed with every grace needed to succeed in her marriage to the bridegroom. Oh, bride of Christ, how enraptured are you with your bridegroom? What is the state of your marriage to him? In what ways are you returning his love for you to him? How are you blessing him with the blessings that he has showered Upon you. In Malachi 3, 6 through 12, that we studied about last week, we learn that God blesses his people so they can bless him by giving back a portion of his gifts. He does the same today. All that we have, all that we are, is a gift from God. We return the bridegroom's love to him by being a church that uses his gifts wisely and generously to bless others. He has given us every grace we need. By his power, given through the gift of his Holy Spirit, the church flourishes and succeeds. Love and intimacy with the Lord grows and strengthens in every believer. The church is blessed with every grace needed to succeed in her marriage to the bridegroom. In our next division, we will dig a little bit deeper into the calling of the bridegroom's beloved bride, the church. So our second division is the bride. I loved it when Carrie said last week that God is immutably a gift giver. Certainly, we see that is true in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. There, the first bridegroom, Adam, was given a bride. God determined that it was not good for man to be alone, but he found no helper or helpmate suitable for him. So in Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. Now I want you to turn and look at the bridegroom's face. Imagine his reaction at seeing God's perfectly created, just for him, bride. He exclaims, at last, this one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. Genesis 2.24 adds an explanatory note. It says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. 
Adam's experience foreshadows Jesus Christ's experience. Just as God created the perfect bride for Adam, he created the perfect bride for the ultimate bridegroom, Jesus Christ. His bride is the church. Psalm 45:11 describes how the bridegroom sees his bride. It says the king is enthralled by your beauty. How can that be? Jesus is God. He is holy, holy, holy. Human beings are fallen, sinful. Like the Old Testament pictures of God's people, Christ's bride was once an adulterous, unfaithful, shame-covered bride who was hopeless and helpless to save herself. Enter the night in shining armor, armor, our hero of heaven, the beautiful Savior who suffered and died to purchase her pardon, forgive her sins, and cover her with his own righteousness. 1 Samuel 16, 7 teaches us that God looks at the heart, not at her outward appearance. Now this is a terrifying thought apart from Christ. But praise God, when we reject him at every turn, he still pursues us. When we refuse to acknowledge him or his authority, when we do what we want to do and say what we want to say, still he woos us. When we refuse to believe or claim his promises to care for us or provide for us, when we, like two-year-olds, want to do everything ourselves, still he loves us. Most of us, most of the time, are self-centered sinners. What does God see in us? Why does he love us? Why does he pursue us? Why doesn't he just give up on us? After all, he is the king of all creation, sovereign over the universe. Yet, in his extraordinary, holy love, He invites us to a glorious future as his forever bride. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus speaks of this wonderful invitation to this glorious future with him as as the bridegroom in this life as well as into eternity. And while the invitation is to a wedding banquet, the wedding banquet of Jesus, it is far more than an invitation It is a proposal. God's chosen people are asked to be the bridegroom's bride. Now, understanding the betrothal and wedding practices of ancient Jews helps us more fully grasp the meaning of this proposal. These practices were full of symbolism meant to point us to Jesus Christ. When a young man desired to marry a young woman in ancient Israel, he presented a contract or a covenant to the woman and her father. The covenant expressed his willingness to provide for the young woman and described the terms of his marriage proposal, most importantly, the bride price he was willing to pay. The price was generally very high, enough to compensate the family for the cost of raising a daughter. Imagine how high that price would be today. The price also indicated the degree of love or desire that the man had for the woman. 
Once the bride price was agreed upon, the young man poured a glass of wine for the woman, and if she drank the wine, it meant she accepted the proposal. The bride then took a cleansing bath called a mikvah, and it made her ritually pure. At this point, the bride was considered consecrated or set apart, bought at a price. Can you hear echoes of the Apostle Paul's words there? She wore a veil indicating that she was betrothed. Now, a betrothal was a legally binding agreement like a marriage. The only difference is that it was not yet consummated. A typical betrothal period was one to two years. This was a time of preparation for marriage. And during this time, the bridegroom and the bride would not see each other. But to show his appreciation for his betrothed and to help her remember him during this long betrothal period, the bridegroom gave his bride special gifts. He blessed her with many blessings. While the bridegroom spent his time preparing the wedding chamber, the bride also prepared herself. Typically, the bridegroom came in the middle of the night to steal his bride away. She had to always be ready. When he finally arrived, he took his bride away to the wedding chamber to consummate the marriage. When they emerged, they joined a joyous wedding feast. Following the pattern of ancient wedding practices, Jesus Christ, our bridegroom, came down from heaven to his prospective bride's home on earth. His betrothal proposal was a covenant of grace, and he sealed it with a glass of wine at the Last Supper. The bride price? The incomparably high price of his own blood shed on the cross. Before his death, he told his disciples he was going to prepare a place for them. This is where he is now, preparing a place for us his bride. Until then, he showers his church with spiritual gifts so she will remember her bridegroom and prepare for his return. We do not know when he will come back to whisk us away. Therefore, we must always be ready. When he finally comes, we will celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb and depart with our bridegroom for our new home, the new Jerusalem, which he has prepared just for us. This is what Jesus Christ invites us to. This is what the bridegroom's proposal encompasses. Do not miss out because you fail to respond to his invitation. Do not spurn his proposal. God's church is described in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race of royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you hear echoes of Genesis 12.3 there? God has chosen and blessed his church to be a blessing. Believers, the company of the redeemed are the church. They have been called out of the darkness of sin and into the light of the light of the world. They are God's own possession, 
chosen, royal, holy, that they might proclaim his glory. Isaiah 61.10 says that Jesus Christ has outfitted his bride with garments of salvation and covered her with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom puts on a turban or as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So clothed with garments of salvation, covered with the robe of Christ's righteousness. That's his church. That's his bride. Jesus Christ humbled himself to put on human flesh, live a life of perfect obedience to every command of God the Father. He willingly went to the cross and died the death that we deserve to die for our sin. As our substitute, he shed his blood on the cross to not only pay the price for our sin, but to purchase our right standing before God. Believer, you were clothed in garments of salvation, covered in the robe of Christ's righteousness. Then the Holy Spirit of God came to make his home in you. He equips and empowers believers with spiritual blessings so that they can in turn be a blessing. The church is blessed to be a blessing. The book of Revelation expands on this truth. Revelation 19 verses 7 through 8 says that the church, as the bride of the Lamb, has prepared herself for marriage by performing righteous deeds. It says, let us rejoice and shout for joy. Let us give him honor and glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come at last and his bride The redeemed has prepared herself. She has been permitted to dress in fine linen, dazzling white and clean, for the fine linen signifies the righteous acts of the saints. In Revelation 21, the great wedding is portrayed with the church prepared for her bridegroom. The Apostle John exclaims, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed like a bride adorned for her husband. Believer, little anointed one, if you have been saved by grace through faith, you have been bought at a price. Your bride price was extravagantly high. You belong to the heavenly bridegroom. As members of his church, you and I, we eagerly await his return, but we do not sit idly by. We must use every blessing from God to be a blessing. And we bless God and others by shining his kingdom light into our dark world. We bless God and others by proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, how Can the bride not tell everyone about the greatness of her bridegroom's love? Indeed, Ephesians chapter 1 taught us that the church is blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Our bridegroom calls us to use those blessings to accomplish God's kingdom work. So our second truth is that the church is blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms to accomplish God's work. What specific work for his kingdom 
has God chosen you to do? What vital part in the life of your church family do you play? What are you doing that tells the world about the extravagant love and saving grace of your bridegroom? As I pondered the tithe that God commanded of his people in Malachi's day, I wondered what this world would look like if everyone who claims the name Christian actually gave at least a tenth of the blessings God has poured out on them. What would this world look like if all God's people were doing their part to proclaim and promote the kingdom of God? Imagine how our worldly woes and human suffering and sorrows would disappear. Just as God blessed the Jewish people in the Old Testament to be a blessing, to be a light to the Gentiles, he blesses his people, the church, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms for a reason to accomplish his kingdom work. Are you, my friend, doing your part? At the wedding of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, to his bride, the church, which moment are you most looking forward to experiencing? The arrival of the bride? Or what you will see written on the bridegroom's face? What will be written on his face? Our beautiful Savior has completed the work of salvation. His bride is bought at a price and consecrated, purified. As she enters the holy presence of the Lord, she is dressed in a thoroughly prepared wedding dress. It is intricately woven through her many acts of faithfulness while she's away from her bridegroom on this fallen earth. The picture is compelling. Because the church is blessed to be a blessing, each prayer, each gift, each hour of fasting, each act of kindness to the needy, all of these and more are threads being woven together into a dazzling white wedding dress. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, the bride's work on earth prepares her for the day she will be joined to her bridegroom. What a wonderful reason to live in Christ and for Christ. You see, while we still draw breath on this earth, We are not finished stitching our wedding dresses together. The wedding approaches, yet there is still more for us to do to present ourselves pure before our holy bridegroom. The imagery there is beautiful, but potentially disturbing. If we as a church fail to be a blessing, if we fail to honor and glorify God with faithful acts of service, We will not be the bride God intends for us to be. I mean, do we really want to appear at the altar before our bridegroom 
and the multitude of guests at the wedding feast of the Lamb, scantily clad? O bride of Christ, be diligent to prepare. Use every blessing you have received from God to be a blessing. Weave your wedding dress together with one righteous act after another until it is substantial and complete. Then, when your bridegroom sees you approach the altar, he will be enthralled by your beauty. His eyes will shine with joy at the vision before him as he proclaims, At last, at last, she is fully mine. The one I blessed to be a blessing has been faithful. Well done, my beautiful and beloved bride. Will he say that? Of you? Or does your wedding dress still need a little work? Did you pray with me? Oh, holy God, how we praise you for our glorious bridegroom. He is perfectly made for his holy bride, and his holy bride perfectly made for him. Thank you, loving Father, for your good and sovereign work in creating your church. Keep us mindful of who and whose we are. Show us how to use every blessing that you have poured out on us to be a blessing. Holy Spirit, empower us and equip us as we do. This we ask in the name of our beautiful Savior and heavenly bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Amen.